Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, we've been doing a series right through the book of 1 Timothy. When I started this series, I knew that we'd get to this place. And it is the, uh, where it begins to speak about pastors and deacons or bishops, as uh, the Lord puts it in this, in this passage, and deacons. Um, as we go through this, I would beg you not to have a checklist on me and say, oh, pastor's good there, pastor's good there, well, I've got to work on that. Listen, as we go through these qualifications for the pastor, I want you to understand that each one of these things, God would not have us deficient in. God would not have us, any one of us, whether we are a pastor or not. Um, he would not have us to lack in the positive elements, nor would He have us be partakers of those things that are negative. Each one of these things, God does not give, and they're not special to the pastor. You can find each and every one of these principles in other passages throughout the New Testament about a saint of God. By the way, if you are saved today, if you have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You are one of His called out ones. And God would have you um, to be part of what He has to say here. Now, not every person will be a bishop or a pastor, an overseer or an elder is another place that is uh, uh, another word that's spoken of in the New Testament um, concerning the pastor. Not everybody will be, um, but God would have each and every one of us consider these things for our own life. And I, I, I plead with God that He'd help me in each one of these things um, to be more and more as He as God would have me to be, as the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so may God help us this morning as we uh, look at this passage. I'd ask you to pray for me um, in these things and as I preach, uh, that God would help us to, to take hold of these things and love the Word of God and I do pray that the love of God's people for me would continue and that my love for our church would grow. And so would you pray for that? I praise the Lord for the church that He has given us. He has given us a wonderful people to be amongst. Are we what Jesus would have us to be? No, but God is working that we might become the perfect and spotless bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day we will be because each one of us will see Christ and we will be just like Him. But may God help us to not wait until then um, to get rid of some of the blemishes in our lives. Amen? And so, if you take a look there in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? 
not a novice, was being lifted up with pride, he fell into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Let's pray together. Father, bless us now as we look into this passage. I pray that it would be exactly what is needed in the hearts of mind of your people today. That it would be what you would want um, to do and to work, uh, help us to work through in our own lives. And Father, I pray that you'd help me to be the, the man of God that gets behind this pulpit most every week to preach the Word of God and also the one whom the folks, the, the people of our church can call upon to pray and to help and to minister. But I pray and, and beg you and know that this is not only what you would have me to do, but you'd have each one of us partake in these things in the capacity in which you'd have us to do it. And so please, may you work today and, and do a mighty work amongst us and help us to love you most of all. I beg you that through these things, that the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted up, who is the only one who can do any of these things in any one of our lives. And so please do this. Help us now. And I pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As we look at these, as we look at this passage and these qualifications of the things that is often called the qualifications for the bishop or for the pastor, understand, first of all, that these things can come and be sustained only, only, only with a close and intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When we speak of these things, we're speaking about a man. When we speak about a bishop or a pastor, we're speaking about a man. I have no problem saying that. I know it may be sexist in our age. But I believe that women also have a role in the church, and they are also to desire to have these things. I believe a woman ought to be apt to teach. They ought to be able to practice their craft of teaching with their children and be able to lead in devotions in their family with their husbands sitting by, listening and understanding what the Bible has to say and the, 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 the comment of the Word of God from his own wife. I praise the Lord when my wife leads in devotions. and There's often so many things I say, you know what, that's good. That is good. Um, because God speaks to her and works in her life too. But when we speak of these things, I want you to understand they come only for those who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may have some natural ability in some certain area in any of these things, but none of us would have any claim upon any of these things without a close and intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That can only be had because we know Him, first of all, as our Savior. If you are not saved today, there's no way that God can transform your life to have any of the qualities and qualifications of these things. 
I stand before you today saying that a pastor ought to be saved. He ought to be saved. But that should be true for every one of us. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. If you're here today and you have not believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who came in the flesh and died on the cross for your sin, that He alone is the way to heaven. If you've come here and you believe that your way to heaven is paved by your good works, I want you to know that sidewalk is filled with pits. That, that sidewalk is incomplete and will never get you there. The way to heaven, the way to God, the way to Christ is Himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. For those of you that don't know me, I got saved in October of 1999. He changed my life. He gave me life. He took me from a man who was... Listen, you see here two in, in this passage, you see two uh, uh, words. It says he shouldn't be a striker, he shouldn't be a brawler. I was that before I was saved. Sometimes I was that with those I loved the most or should have loved the most. I would fight over the silliest things. I would yell and scream over the silliest of things. And I praise the Lord that He's freed me from that life of brawling. I was a drunk. You want to talk about not giving to wine? I was a drunk who spent every thought about when is the next time I can get drunk. Spent so much money on alcohol. It was ridiculous. By the way, I got saved at 19. You figure out the math. I praise God that He saved me out of that. But I promise you the things that we read here are not just for the pastor. They're for every single one of us. And so let's start there in verse 1 and let's make our way through this and may God help us. The Scripture says in verse 1, this is a true saying, this is a faithful saying. This is worthy of being accepted. When it comes to the bishop, the pastor of the church, the, the one who has this good work, these things are, should be accepted by us. That, that, that any time a person is going to lead in the church in the role and office of a bishop or a pastor or an elder, uh, that type of thing, these things need to be a part of what we're looking for. It's important to notice that it doesn't say, as you're looking for a pastor, look for someone who's got a doctorate and who's written three books. It doesn't say that. There are many churches who have fallen because that was their single qualification. Has this person gotten their doctorate and have they published three books? And their influence in the community did not grow because of the fame of their pastor. Because guess what? Nobody in the world cares what any of us write. <laughs> they don't. They do not care. Alright? They don't. There are many other books they can read. They're not going to give themselves to reading what a 
Christian pastor has to read. I praise the Lord for men who have written good books and women who have written good books for us to read. The truth is that has no, no bearing upon whether we should be a pastor or not. He said this is an acceptable thing. This is what we ought to accept as true. He says if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I want you to know, anybody who seeks to be a pastor ought to desire not a title, but a good work. That ought to be a number one qualification. The man ought to not say, you know what, I am looking for a title. Did you know in the Scripture there is no title for the pastor? Now, there are many people that call me pastor. There are some who call me John. Some people would be offended at that. But nowhere in the Bible is there ever a title given to the pastor. The pastor, the bishop, the elder, none of those are titles. They are works and responsibilities. That's why I have no problem for a person to call me John. I desire that any man, any woman have a, a respect, not for the position or the office, but just because they love me. I praise the Lord that the folks of our church have a great love for me. And that is true. I do not believe that respect is earned by a title, but by a good work. My goodness, as I say these things, I think about how far, how far, and how, how, I mean, how, how far I've got to go when it comes to a good work. But that's what he says. He says he desires a good work, not a good title. Brother, I want you to know there are many men and women who have the title of pastor, but they do not have the role of a pastor. All they want is the name. All they want is to be able to have that that name attached to, to their name so that they can say that's what they are. Any person who becomes a pastor is not getting a title. I want you to know they're getting a work. I pray that God would would raise up men who would pastor churches from our church. There have been those young people, uh, seven, eight, nine years old, they said, one day, I'd like to be a pastor. I want you to know, young men, if your desire is to be the one who gets up here and talks, If your hope is to one day have people call you pastor, I want you to know it's not what God has. He has something better. He has for you a good work. And I want you to know it is work. (laughs) Know to God that young people in our church would understand this. This is a true saying. If any man desire the office of a bishop, it's an office and a work, not a title. He desireth a good work. Verse 2. In verses 2 and 3, we see those things that are public before the eyes of all people. These are the things that are going to be seen and evident in the man. Verse 2. A bishop must then be blameless. A bishop must then be blameless. 
The word blameless does not mean without sin. No man could ever live without sin. But it means that if an accusation of significant indiscretion is named against the man, that he's not guilty of it. And so if the accusation of being a flirt is come before the pastor, you ought to be very quickly be able to say, you know what, that's not true. If the accusation of adultery is come before the pastor, it ought to be found to be untrue. To be blameless doesn't mean that you get don't get blamed. <laughs> Alright? To be blameless doesn't mean you don't get blamed. It means that you're not guilty of what you're being accused of. Now, understand, this has nothing to do with, I blame pastor, he stepped on my toes and didn't say he was sorry. Alright? And so he's not blameless anymore, he can't be pastor. That's not what God's talking about here. But when it comes to a serious indiscretion against the God and the people of God, they ought not to be blamed. When it comes to the doctrine of God, the pastor ought to be blameless when it comes to the great doctrines of the Word of God. Not seeking to split the church with false doctrine, but with true doctrine. Does that make sense? And so, to be blameless doesn't mean that people don't blame you. People have blamed me many times and tried to, some have tried to lay accusation, and that's okay. But I don't want to be able to be blamed. I don't want to be able to, to, for someone to be able to say, you know what? Pastor's really done some bad things. Things that ought not to be ever spoken of about Christians. Pastor's done those things. Well, since I've gotten saved, by the grace of God, these things have become part of my old life and not, not any more part of my new life in Christ. Amen? And, <clears throat> and so God ought to have this expectation. But let me ask you this. If that's what blameless is, is that just for the pastor? Who else should be blameless? Yeah. My goodness. What Christianity would be like in America if we said, you know what? By the grace of God, I want to be blameless. I want to be blameless. You know, we ought to have a great fear of what God may allow to happen in our lives if we do what He doesn't want us to do. What we do, what He, what he doesn't want us to do. I started playing this video game on my phone. It was addicting. It was a, this war video game. You build up your castle and war people. I said, this, this is pretty fun. It's pretty fun. And so I was playing it, and then I was playing it and playing it, and then I was playing it and playing it and playing it. Then it was, then I was playing it until I fell asleep. And I, then I said, I was, as I was just about to fall asleep, you dope. You've wasted all these hours playing that video game. And I said, God, you know what? You're right. I got, and I deleted it. You know why I deleted it? is because I was afraid of what God may allow to happen in my life if I didn't do what He said. 
And we ought to have that same fear of God. Brethren, God can allow bad things to happen if He tells us to stop doing something and we do it anyway. You see, as parents, the same thing happens with our children. As they grow into teenagers, we can say, listen, you cannot do that. If you do that, you may get hurt. If the teenager continues to do it and they get hurt, is it mom's and dad's fault? No, they said don't do it. And as children, as our, our children grow and, and, and we, we discipline them. By the way, it's okay to discipline your children. In fact, it's needed and God tells you if you don't discipline your children, you don't even love them. Tell that to the people who tell you how to parent on TV. Say, I just want you to know you don't love your children if you don't discipline them. They'd have a cow. They'd go crazy. But here's the thing. We ought to have that same thought about our, our own lives. We ought to say, you know what, God? I don't want whatever's around the corner, whatever is lying at the door, if I continue in that. And, and so much of what I don't do is because I know there's consequences to it. And it's, and it's not just that I know it's wrong. You know, I don't look at bad pictures on the internet. One of the reasons is because I am afraid of what it may lead to. Because there are worse things. Now that is very bad. But it could get worse. And by the way, if I did that and someone caught me, it could hurt my marriage. And you'd have every right to boot me out. And say, you can't be my pastor anymore. (laughs) But God wants us to be blameless. He wants not just me to be blameless. My office or my work may depend upon it. You say, well, that doesn't depend upon it for me. But what does depend upon you being blameless? How about your evangelism of your friends and your family? Does that not hinge upon our being blameless? Not perfect. But when it comes to the things that really show that we love the Lord, we ought to be blameless. Number two, it says he ought to be the husband of one wife. When Paul wrote these, uh, these things to Timothy, having more than one wife was something that happened on a regular basis. In fact, in many societies, including in Ephesus, You had as many wives or the responsibility over women, whether it was wives and concubines or one wife and your concubines, you had as many as you could afford. And so if you were poor, you might have some sorry lady who, you know, just kind of took you along and said, we'll just kind of go together poor. But if you had a lot of money, you'd have a lady, you'd have a wife and you'd have concubines or you'd have many wives. And Paul said, if you're going to be a pastor, you can't have that. You've got to be the husband of one wife. I don't care how much money you have. I don't, know how many, I don't care how many ladies you can support. You have one wife. By the way, that's been the principle from the beginning. How many wives did God give to Adam? One. Right? One. It may be that the man needs a whole lot of ladies just to get him through. 
but he's just going to have to deal with one. <laughs> or just, just to have a precious one. By the way, whenever it's more than one, marriage becomes no longer precious. Because there is no preciousness to more than one. You cannot cut it in half. Whenever a man in the Scripture had more than one wife, whenever a man in the Scripture had more than one wife, it wasn't, oh, you're 50% precious and you're 50% precious. It was you're both 0% precious. I'm 100% precious. You're 0% precious. And that's what it is in any relationship when it comes to marriage. Husbands, if your wife isn't the only one, not only with the ring, but in your heart, I want you to know your wife is 0% precious. Wives, same thing. If your heart is being taken by another man, it may not be sexual at all. But your heart is being taken by another man that's not your husband. I want you to know something. Your husband has not become less precious. He has become 0% precious. And that is a grave sin against God. On Friday night, we had a great time with the couples of our church. I praise the Lord for my own wife. She is precious to me. And I give every guard that I can think of to make sure that that always stays the case. Because I know my heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That's what God says. And so I try to take every guard that I can to make sure that nothing and no one steals away that preciousness. Because my wife is precious to me. And the Scripture says that we ought to cleave unto our wives. To hold tight to our wives. And brethren, if a man... Listen, because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said when talking about the church that it was His bride. If a man cannot make precious his one wife, but in fact makes it... makes. Nothing precious in a marriage. Listen. What is that man going to do with the bride of Christ, the church? Can the bride of Christ be precious? Can the bride of Christ be precious if we can't make our own wives precious? Think about it. Think about it. And so the things that we ought to be 100% loyal to and 100% giving to and 100% cleaving unto. Here's the thing. And this is so true in our society. If you think about it. When it comes to marriage, we have divorce rate over 50%. And by the way, it's not much better for Christians. But the same is true for the church. As soon as a church shows its warts, as soon as the church no longer satisfies me, as soon as the church never doesn't give me what I want anymore, what do people do? This was not always the case. They get up and they go somewhere else. My great prayer for our church is that we grow not because a lot of people come from other churches, but because people get saved. And I believe by the grace of God, as long as we are going forward for the Lord, listen, as long as we believe the Bible, 
then if you get saved here, you ought to die here. Now, if there's a, a terrible indiscretion just like in marriage, then maybe there needs to be a divorce. But man, as long as we are loving the Lord and going forward, sometimes you've got to get through the difficulties in a marriage to get to the other side. Because the other side is good. And sometimes you've got to do it in the church too. By the way, we're all sinners here. And every person who comes and adds themselves to our church, they're just another sinner. Saved by the blood of the Lamb. And may God help us to understand this because that's what the, the pastor ought to have. He ought to have an incredible love for the church because and that, that example of that love is with the love he has for his wife. Do you think every pastor has the perfect marriage? You want me to tell you how many pastors have the perfect marriage? Zero. But one of the things that breaks my heart is in New England, men who come up here from the South, they have an idea. I'm going to go up there to New England. I'm going to grow up a church of 1,500, just like all the churches down there. I'm going to, and, and their church supports them. They, they say, Get, you've got two years. Go up there, start your church. They start supporting you. And you, you start getting, uh, getting paid that way. Alright? So they give you two years. After two years, they've got 15 or 16 people, praise the Lord, for 15 or 16 people that get saved in New England. But they ain't gonna support them. And so they say, you know what? I'm going back down south. That's like divorcing your wife to me. It really is. Because either you were called to it or you weren't. And so may God help us. And would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? Do you think since I've been here, it's all been lollipops and cupcakes? Some of you know. It's not always been lollipops and cupcakes. But if I'm not getting lollipops and cupcakes, does that mean that I say, you know what, maybe I should start dusting off the resume. Maybe I should figure out a way to Find somewhere else to go. No. Right? No. We're in it together. And I hope we're in it together. Amen? Amen? If not, I'm out of here. He's vigilant. The Scripture says be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil... Like a roaring lion seeketh whom he may devour. The idea of being vigilant is the idea of, of being aware, being sober, being, being able to know what's going on around them. There are many things that can be done, become a distraction. And any distraction takes away from your ability to be able to do what you should be doing in being vigilant. By the way, each and every one of us ought to be vigilant. We ought to be vigilant in our homes. We ought to be vigilant in our church. We ought to be vigilant in our our workplace because the devil is seeking whom he may devour. But the, the pastor ought also to be, and not more so, but he ought to be vigilant. 
You can be a Christian and not be vigilant, but you ought not be a pastor and not be vigilant. One of the greatest difficulties that a man can face in the pastorate today is not being distracted. Not being distracted. There are many distractions. And if, if you are a soldier up upon the wall and your job is to be vigilant against the army that may come, then you need to be sure that you're not distracted. You shouldn't be distracted by the pretty, uh, the cute little bunny rabbit hopping down the, the, the wall, right? You shouldn't be distracted by anything that your eyes can be upon if you really want to be vigilant in making sure that everything is the way it should be. I want you to know that's a great struggle. You pray for me. I want, because God has called me to a good work. He's called you to a good work too. But if we're not vigilant, then our distractions become what we're most concerned about. Does that make sense? And so you don't want to be somebody who's distracted. You don't want to be someone who can't be uh, aware of what's going on. And so the pastor ought to be aware. You ought to know. Uh, but guys, please know that, that that is not just for the pastor. We all ought to be aware. We all ought to have an understanding of what's going on. Number uh, The next thing, sober. Now, this doesn't have to do necessarily with not being drunk. Now, so a pastor shouldn't be drunk, right? What would you think if I came to church one day and I was drunk? You'd say, well, I, something wrong there, right? That guy shouldn't be, shouldn't be up there. Um, but the idea of being sober means to know when to be serious. Sometimes you can let your lack of seriousness get in the way. There's nothing wrong with laughing, by the way. I, I love to laugh. The other night, I was laughing. I laughed so hard, it, it sometimes it hurt. I couldn't stop laughing when I said yellow. <laughs> I could not believe it as soon as I said it. My, my wife gave me a look. It was, it was complete and utter shock. We are playing the newlywed game. She was supposed to say yellow. In fact, she made the question for her to say yellow. She's the one who wrote the question. Every, all the couples wrote a question, and it, that was hers. And so it was an automatic point for us. And I said, I, I, I was the one who gave the question to her. She wrote, she was going to say yellow. I had yellow written down. I said yellow, and she looked at me in shock. I can't believe it. And I couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't believe that I said yellow. And, uh, I, I was tired at that point. But, uh, but we ought to laugh. We ought to laugh. But I want you to understand, when I get up here to preach, there have been people that, that, that get upset with me because I'm too serious. Now, there's times that we laugh. and I, Most of the jokes I tell, I tell at my, my own expense, and that's the only way I really know how to get a person to laugh. You, if, I were to, if I were to get a joke and try to tell you a joke, nobody would laugh. And so it's easier for me to, to laugh at myself than anything because I'm pretty... I have pretty funny anecdotes anyway. But when it comes to what's going on in the world, it is not all laughing. In fact, when you leave this place and you begin...
to live in the world, you're going to appreciate the fact that it's not that that you don't have a pastor that's always laughing, but he knows when to be serious. And sometimes we go through things that are hard. And you don't want a pastor who doesn't know how to be serious in your time of need. That's what sober means. Knowing when to be serious. We're going to go, we're going to look at some more of these things next week. And I know it's a little bit different than we normally do. But God gives us the Word of God for a reason. And He tells us that we need to give all of the Word of God. And so I don't want to skip a part because it's not as uh, mind uh, uh, thoughtful as others, but I, I do want us to understand what some of these things mean. Now next week, we're going to talk more about the pastor and the ruling of his house. Brother, I want you to know we all ought to rule our house well, not just the pastor. And uh, so may God help us with these things.